Welcome to another episode of No Thanks But Yes, chill conversations with splendid people. Non-monetized and unaffiliated, this Freedom From Addiction podcast celebrates the many faces, voices, and pathways of recovery from chaotic substance use. That's how we do it. (laughs) All right. All right. What's going down? Oh, you know, a little of this, a little of that. Try to still keep it, you know, keep people guessing. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, that's not true at all. I'm I'm not very good at like. I couldn't. I I could never play poker. I'm, I'm not. Oh, same uh my face my body language yeah no I can't keep anybody guessing um it's it's always really I haven't my facial expressions have not learned to use their inside voice actually I haven't learned to use my inside voice just in general hey nice (laughs) nice yeah while the rest of us are managing our face you're like face (laughs) yeah face like I just shouted at that person and I didn't mean to (laughs) well you know we got plenty to be angry about yeah so yeah. Tell, tell us who you are sister so i'm patty hevernan i am the owner of helios recovery services i own that with uh, my business partner and husband jesse hevernan and i am the executive director of our for-profit or i'm sorry our non-profit organization uh, Helios Heuristic, which is a wraparound support service for families who find themselves at the intersection of substance use and child welfare. Are out. Y'all are doing good stuff. Very cool. Yeah, we talk about depends on who you ask. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm saying okay <laughs> that's okay. pretty cool stuff yeah no i've been watching y'all i've been watching y'all from the get-go and, and uh i take delight in seeing you uh win and uh take on new stuff for sure i like to win i like to win <laughs> man i'm captain kirk all day like that like i don't believe in a no-win scenario i don't like to lose slip in the little nerd thing yeah no i get it you know Look, I came onto the scene with, uh, you know, William Shatner much later than everybody else because, you know, born in the 80s. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I especially like his music stuff that he did with uh, <laughs> They Might Be Giants when he just did his poetry over that. Oh, my gosh. One of the favorite, my most favorite lines in there is, um, if you have to quantize it, piss correct it, and overly inspect it, then you can't do it. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, I'm gonna have to check that out now. I was weirdly enough during my little lunch break, I was, um, I like to watch TV when I eat lunch. I was watching Galaxy Quest. And so when you started talking about Shatner almost being a parody of himself and Galaxy Quest is a parody of a fellow <laughs> being a parody of himself, it's awesome. So um, I mean, what better way to age though than to just not take yourself too seriously? You know, <laughs> I do that. I try, you know, and then, you know, so, cause I, I don't, uh, I don't want to come across um, too serious. So like when I am serious, it's jarring. People are like, Whoa, look out. It's for real. 
it's for real he's not just a clown so how how did how, how did we meet we were chatting about this we're digital homies for sure we have met yeah. uh, at, at at a subsequent mobilized but anyway how, how did we meet yeah so i know that we had some like some of our same circles and like the advocacy and the uh legislation pieces yeah i know we had a lot of um but i remember that when i had seen through those people that you had gotten a position an, an elected position for social work and then I tracked you down and I was like, I'm going to make that person my friend because we've got some problems. <laughs> we got problems. We got problems and it starts with social workers. So we, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta talk to those people, man. Yeah. I was so delighted that you reached out. Yeah. And then we talked and then we've been still talking and I've reached out to you for your subject matter expertise around some compassionate and equitable care for pregnant yeah. and parenting people who use substances, who experience addiction, et cetera. Because yeah. that's a place we need help. And Definitely. Uh, we need your help. <laughs> I mean, I got big shoulders, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. So that's what we've been doing. So um, Patty, this is no thanks, but yes, folks uh, in recovery and doing really cool stuff and fun stuff out there. Do you identify as a person in recovery? Uh, this is going to be controversial. I okay. identify as a person who has recovered. Okay. Yeah. Um, I definitely had an issue with substances in my teenage years. Um which I think was, you know, with this much time to reflect upon it was a reaction to my environment and what I was going on, going through at the time. And then I completely quit for 17 years yeah. of having absolutely no relationship with substances whatsoever. And then uh, the more education I got around it and the more I learned about multiple pathways of recovery and the more I started looking at my story and how I had gotten to where I was and that I didn't feel like the community I was a part of really fit anymore. I didn't relate or identify anymore. Um, I, I realized that I was like, hey, maybe that wasn't an addiction in the first place. It could have been. I definitely had all of the right ingredients to be there uh you know the the genetic the generational factor the culture i mean help i'm in wisconsin are you kidding me there's more bars than there are churches yeah um yeah so <clears throat> yeah like when you you know most people have beer on their grocery list every week so it's sure. there was all the right everything there for that to happen yep. and i'm really grateful still i had to go through some anger stuff about it for a while but i i'm still really grateful that the recovery community was what it was for me at the time that it was there and it it served to prevent a really difficult situation from getting worse mm -hmm. and at the time you know it, 
people that were too nice to me, I didn't understand. So <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't under, I didn't know how, I didn't know how I get it, that. it didn't come as genuine to me. I didn't believe yeah. them. What's your, uh, angle? So, What's your angle chief? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so like having a, a community that was like, you know, as rough around the edges as I was just, you know, without the use of drugs was like, it was what I needed. Um, but, you know, I no longer have a, a chaotic relationship with substances. Right. I no longer have any desire to self-destruct. I don't hate myself anymore. Um, I, yeah, I've recovered. And we know more about the way that the brain can heal from addiction and that mm. it is a myth that once somebody is addicted, they'll always be addicted or because they're addicted to one substance, they're going to be addicted to all That's substances. True. That's a very small subset of people yeah. who experience addiction. And um, in this business that it's a progressive illness has also been debunked. It's, it's not yes. a progressive illness. Most, most of us actually get better. Or uh, that if without it intervention hurts, even. It has to hurt bad enough before somebody will do it. That's not true. That's counterproductive, actually. And and this business that you have to want to. And I, and then when people will say that, I'm like, you know what? I could introduce you to somebody right now oh, God. who would tell you that wanting to get sober or clean or, you know, into recovery has got nothing to do with it. Like they yep. wanted it so bad, like so bad that they were sobbing all the way to the liquor store at the counter and could not stop. Like, mm -hmm. so... So don't give me this. It's that they want to. Yeah, no. None I, of that. Set that no. shit straight right now. Yeah. I Let's... have prayed for really <laughs> wanted more than you want anything. Yeah. I but they gotta want it. It's just a little sound right to yeah. simplify a very complex problem. Yeah. And and then the other thing, like, you know, they check into rehab. Well, they didn't even try. They checked themselves out the next day. Look, if your doctor was trying to send you home with a medication you're allergic to, you'd probably check yourself out too. Yeah. Um, we we have like so few treatments methods in our in our treatment industry and in our clinical treatment industry which is still heavily heavily rooted in the war on drugs which has been debunked over and over again yeah. and it's been shown it's so very blatantly obvious when you just look into it slightly that the war on drugs is just a way to keep filling up our prisons yes. harvesting our children and keeping the machine running so that we don't because it, it's not more cost effective to keep locking people up in prison no. it's not more cost effective it doesn't there, look this is this right here this blank page this is the list of, of people who stopped using drugs because we started getting tough on crime that's right. okay that's like right. i i've never ever ever <laughs> Yeah, look, I've been around some rough people like most of my life, and I still am in my work. There's not a single person that has shared their story and was like, yup. And then my friend got 40 years in prison because he shared drugs with somebody and overdosed. And that was my waking up point. And I, wow, that judge made an example of that guy. And wow, did I pay attention to that example? And that was it, man. I was done. That's just not how it works. We know what's effective and we are actively choosing not to. We are indeed. And, uh, but someone, and you allude to this, uh, someone's benefiting. So it's not necessarily a broken system. It's broken in that it's not accomplishing what they 
said it would do it's accomplishing what's working for some people which is keeping the prisons yeah. full the system isn't broken the system's doing exactly what it was designed to do right on. and that was to keep power in certain areas and not in others um yeah and it, we, uh, we know, we, none know of it is... to, we know how to treat addiction effectively and we choose we do. to do that was so heavy and what was also heavy is how you framed your mutual aid society engagement in early recovery, how grateful you are for what they were at the time that you needed. Uh, it, was, it was brilliant. It was almost lovingly portrayed as like, you know, this, you know, they were there for me, but and then there's assumption that they'll always be my people. And, and I have a similar story as well, you know, that um, they just weren't my people anymore you know mm -hmm. I, I got new people and that's all right Whew. so what what uh what does recovery mean to you we're not really defining recovery we're just kind of throwing words at it uh what it what is recovery for you so i think we could talk about recovery like a lot of things with like the capital r and the little r okay right so like recovery the little r for me means just getting right in here like what what aligns in here and learning how to stop doing those everyday little self betrayals to either keep the peace or because i think i should or because i don't think i deserve something or because i don't think i'm worthy or because i i think i'm too big and scary or i'm going to break and wreck everything like just being able to like stand in my power and know that I, no matter what I do, no matter what I choose, I'm on my side and I'm not somebody I have to fight. I, and I can trust my judgment and I can be supported by the people around me to trust my judgment. So sister, <laughs> I'm on my side. Oh my God dude i'm taking that home i mean please continue but i had to i had to throw in the affirmation i know i'm on my side uh that fucking resonated with me so much yeah for me I, I, the 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 root cause the root cause of d using in a disordered way um anything especially so so my thing even more so than drugs was fighting Interesting. <laughs> um you know and that's because i was fighting the war inside of me and um I didn't want to be around and I didn't want anybody else to be around either so mm -hmm. you know I was a I, I wanted to destroy me and blow up like a supernova and take as many people with me as I possibly could I didn't care about knowing them it wasn't even about people that deserved it it was just right. at the world so for me that means um that I'm not fighting a war with me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the messaging that I got from my people uh, fanned the flames of that war of me fighting with me and not being able to trust myself and that I need to run my judgments by other people and, and I can't rely on my own decision-making. And I remember when I decided to step away, this is a funny story actually, when, when I, when I first decided to step away, 
was about the time um, I had first started playing roller derby where the timing finally worked out that I could dedicate the time to it. And I needed, I wanted a different pair of skates. Um, and I had found a pair on like one of the roller derby recyclable Facebook pages or something like that, because th that stuff can get expensive. And I work in nonprofit and we don't make the big bucks. So I was looking for a deal. And these skates were $80. And at the time, that was a lot of money for us. And I didn't run that decision by anybody. I didn't run it by anybody. I didn't even talk to my husband about it. I just was like, I I'm doing it. I went and I did it and I got them. Yeah. And it didn't work out. They just did not fit. I could not make them work. And I was so devastated that like, and I was like, why am I so upset? It's just a pair of skates. But it wasn't that it was just a pair of skates. It was that I had nobody else to blame for this decision that didn't work out. This was 100% pure accountability within me. Like I couldn't even come up with an, an agreement to make myself comfortable. Like, see, you knew that person was wrong. Shouldn't have listened to them. I didn't have, I didn't have any, I had nowhere to go. You was I out had there. nowhere to go but to look right at me <laughs> and say, what am I going to do? Am I going to kick my own ass like I usually do? Or yep. am I going to forgive myself? <sighs> what am I going to do Yeah. here? Sounds so like a turning, turning point. It was. It definitely was. It was one of those moments that like doesn't seem that significant. I mean, there's just a pair of roller skates, but Absolutely. it was... It was, it's, it's etched in my mind forever. Um, you know, and then there's the recovery with the capital R. Okay. Okay. And that's when, uh, that what I think about when I think about that is I think about our systems. I think about all of the intersections that are with that and the legislation. And in recent years, we have done a pretty good job, I think, especially, you know, the groups within Mobilized Recovery, I think, um, have done a very good job at making a constituency out of the recovery community and teaching people how these things affect them. Because while addiction does not discriminate, access to resources does. And so the people who are in recovery or recovered from addiction are of a certain subset of people who have the privilege to not have to worry about political issues very much because most things don't affect them. Um, so when we learn how those things affect us and why it matters, that has made a very big movement and legislation mm. has changed i mean we're still right now we have a couple of bills in wisconsin um that i don't want to name because i don't want to bring too much attention to them because i don't want to accidentally see them um you know get the attention and get pushed through because sometimes that can happen but you know it's around sentencing um and then we've you know started and, and a few different states have started the whole drug-induced homicide um charges we passed it did we you? Fought we fought it. We had a good, good Sam bill, mm -hmm. a decent one. And then we went past that. And now it's complicated. So we're trying to shore up our good Sam to compensate for the the mess that uh, yeah. by distro has. 
but anyway yeah uh, we're we're doing some similar things we're having some similar struggles um in wisconsin too um with uh, getting our good SAM laws in order. And then also even just to allow recovery coaches um, to be like reimbursable the same way mental health certified peer specialists are. Um, And then honestly, so having a training and consulting agency that trains recovery coaches and then coming into contact with recovery coaches from other trainers, I see why they don't want recovery coaches to be reimbursable. There's some issues there. There's some issues there. It's, um, there are some issues there. I understand. (laughs) I understand why that is. Um, it's, uh, it's doing more of the same with slapping a new label on it and trying to call it something else that it isn't. And, uh, sometimes it's, it's an issue. So when I think about recovery with the capital R, um, we have tried so many times to separate individual issues. And what we haven't tried doing is treating any issue um, as intersectional with everything else. And I know that because we're human and there are a lot of things to pay attention to and it's too much for any one person to keep track of all of it. What we need to understand is that we can't talk about recovery as a systemic issue without talking about mental health, without talking about uh, racial inequity. We can't talk about it without talking about a pay gap. We can't talk about it without talking about misogyny. We can't talk about this without talking about having a living wage or a right to stable housing or to basic human rights. Addiction is a symptom of the struggle and desperation that people have. Addiction is a symptom of hopelessness. Addiction is a symbol of pain. Um, This myth that, well, what if they just like it? Well, okay, (laughs) maybe some people just like having drinks, but you know what else? If they just like having drinks, they're not going to work drunk. They're not, you know, they're not um, putting other things that matter to them ahead of it. Uh, There's a difference between enjoying a substance and enjoying the use of drugs like humans have for as long as there's been humans. Um, And then there's addiction and then there's disordered using. And there's a lot more spectrum and nuance that we want to look at because most of us are tired most of the time. And and it's a lot of it's work. It's work in in the in your brain. It's mental work to really try to understand those things and then practice empathy and realize like in the spider web of your thinking that, oh, wow, this belief conflicts with that one. Um, I might need to take a look at that. Like that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And if you don't have stable housing and you're just trying to get by and you're working three jobs, like most millennials are who are never going to retire or buy a house. And most of us have done pretty good at trying to make sure we don't have kids if we're we ain't got the money to do it not me i had four but um (laughs) i hear you sister yeah you know you don't have time you don't have time for that and and so when we're still treating recovery with a capital r and addiction with a capital a um as criminal with a capital c we uh we're we're not we're not going to get anywhere and so long as we keep 
this culture of the rugged individual, we're not ever going to come together as a collective to do something. And that's also by design because no one, any one person cannot do all of this. Like, Mm-mm. leave me, I have tried and I am not just <laughs> any one person. So, um, <laughs> and it's, yeah. I can't move it by myself. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So, so what we're doing? What are you doing right now? Um. So, like I said, um. So my personal lived experience, um, and where I realized I needed to step into is that I I aged out of the foster system. I went in at eleven, and um, then I was briefly reunited with my mom at age fifteen before entering into juvenile justice and. I, you know, and then I hit 16 and I kind of realized like, I'm really on my own here and there isn't going to be nobody taking care of me. I'm not ever going home. Um, And I'm, I'm the only one that's looking out for me. So I better start doing a better job of that. And maybe, maybe if I stop fighting people (laughs) and uh, doing drugs, maybe they'll stop arresting me. Who knows? that might work. We, we could try that. Um, and so, uh, I, but that was after like, I, I, I should have just been locked up and thrown away the key. Like so many times, like I had, you know, it was supposed to be a three strikes you're out situation and I got at least six strikes and on the seventh, um, you know, I got it together. And then, you know, I had some better supports and stuff, but then, you know, as soon as I turned 18, you're kind of just dumped on your head. And, and, in and I was, uh, I was vulnerable to some predatory individuals, um, in the rooms even. Um, and, it, and it's not the kind that you think, like, you know, you normally we think about the 13 step kind of thing. This is a little bit different. This is a different type of thing. And, um it's yeah so eventually I figured out I had to really get out on my own and you know that ended up leading to some homelessness and struggles and for a long long time you know um I couldn't figure out why I couldn't hold a job even though I was really trying I couldn't figure out like why I'm why my math is I'm still in the negative, even though I ain't been like going out to eat or partying or doing any of that stuff. Like I'm just trying to, and my rent was only like $290 at the time for like a shoe box. And I was, you know, eating at the food pantry. And there were times where dinner was literally a can of sauerkraut. Cause that's what I had. Right. Um, I know somebody out there is going to hear that and go, Oh, <laughs> Um, but you know, no, I was hungry, all, man. That's pro, what I had. Pro, probiotics are hip now, man. <laughs> yeah, we're supposed to be eating rotten food now. Apparently, it's good for gut health. So yeah, gross. I don't mind it. I mean, you know, springs <laughs> back times of independence. But I, I took all of that in, a lot of that in, as like I was a a failure. Like it, it was because I because it, it was something that was wrong with me, right? And the messages in the community that I got is like, you if you have a problem, you are the problem. And I kept trying to figure out why, how, and where I was the problem in this. And oh, you're just feeling sorry for yourself, or oh, but you know what? Or or maybe I'm not feeling sorry for myself. Maybe this is an appropriate reaction to the circumstances that I'm having in my life. 
and I'm just a regular normal human being. And this is hard because it's hard. Um, but I didn't get that until much, much later. So with my wraparound support service um, that we are grandfunded with now, um, I keep those things in my mind. And as I learned more about this space from the other side, from the um, the empowered side of the system and the power side of the system, the more I got access to the statistics, the more I got more information on what social workers are up against, the more information I got, um, I realized that number one, my story was not unique at all and that it wasn't happening because mm. I was a failure. Uh, it was really pretty common actually. And I just didn't have any idea about that because there was no space to talk about those things anywhere, even in the rooms. I shared one time nope. something just surface level that had happened in a foster home that I had been in. And I got to tell you, there is something about a room full of people who pride themselves on being more screwed up and sicker than most, as they say, um, to look at me and go, that is messed up. And so I didn't talk about it again for another 17 years. So <laughs> yeah. um, I, uh, you know, and the more that I, I learned the pieces, um, I learned where my, my root of my pain came from. And mm. I'm, I'm always a problem solver. Um, that's one of the things that I'm like, I just refuse to be stuck ever. Um, there's always another solution, even if it means I have to challenge a core belief that I have. Um, so when I was looking at the systems in the way that it is, there are so many things that happen that are miscommunications, that are just lack of understanding, um, that people just don't know. They don't know. Um, they don't know that they can advocate for themselves. They don't know that they do have certain powers in that situation. They don't know that social workers are just human beings who do not ultimately have all of the right answers and they do make mistakes and no they are not held to the same accountability as the people who are on their caseload um i can and and they do have trauma and they do need support for that secondhand trauma is a thing and social workers do sure. go through that yeah. however for social workers we try to change the environment to not set off their triggers. Yeah. Whereas people on the disempowered side of the system are expected to figure out how to control their triggers because we're going to push them and that's just going to happen. And you're going to need to figure out how to have that tool in life. Mm. Um, and so then there are people like me that said, okay, bet. And I went and did that. Um, and I, and I, and then I got to the other side and I was like, expecting oh all these people are all here because they did this work and nope nope, nope. they ain't doing their work no they aren't self-reflecting mm. no <laughs> you just pulled back the curtain and showed everybody the wizard <laughs> they don't they don't no they're not stopping and going oh 
perhaps the reason that this person is elevated right now is that their body, regardless of the nuance of the situation, is having a reaction like their child is being kidnapped. And so they have to fight their biology right now to try to talk to me. And maybe I could give them a little grace for that. Primal biology. Yeah. No. And, and, oh, everything you're saying is brilliant. And this is all in the context of what you do now. So you're bringing this lived expertise on both sides of the desk to, to what you do now to provide more compassionate and uh, more effective support for folks. Well, and I think realistic too. So one of the things that I see a lot, and, and I think that it's very well intended and I know that the people who do this work um, from the social work lane genuinely care and genuinely want to help and they want to keep children safe. Sometimes this idea that trauma is a competition and they have to pick between somebody's trauma is yeah. a little ridiculous. Um, and the idea that they want to partner with families and, I, I, and that's a better philosophy to have but many times in practice I don't think they know what that means yeah. <laughs> um yeah. because to be a partner with somebody you're on equal footing right yeah like <clears throat> in a partnership and having worked in a partnership in many you know spaces in um in business in um collaboration groups in school um and in uh you know just day-to-day -day friendships you're you're on an equal footing doing something mm -hmm. together yeah. um as soon as there's a power dynamic introduced to that that's not a partnership anymore no. it's it's not it's theoretical it's theoretical <laughs> yeah to try and make it partnership like <laughs> right but what ends up happening that i see is they're like, well, we understand that we don't want to be telling families what they need to change, right? Which is, at least in the state of Wisconsin, an interesting thing to say because in the state of Wisconsin and the statutes that govern child welfare, any changes that they are asking of a family to make of any safety concerns of any kind, they are required by law to help them with that. So it's an interesting take um but they they so they so they ask the families and i've seen this happen more than once what is it that you think you need to work on what do you need to improve upon yeah. now never mind the fact that they are currently in the middle of a traumatic experience right even if it was absolutely necessary for the removal of that child um that their physical safety and there was no way to ensure that there could be a physical safety um for that kid in the home even if that was absolutely true they are still in the midst of a traumatic experience that separation is still traumatic and so when you are a person who is experiencing trauma you don't have access to the executive function part of your brain to be able to self-reflect to be able to think about that so, so they're frozen. They don't know what the right answer is. And, and it becomes this guessing game of what does the social worker want to hear? Mm. What is the right answer? And now I know that that is not the intention from the social worker. I know that they really think that they are trying to partner with this person or get to know them better. 
but they're completely missing the fact that with the system that is in place and the roles that you find yourself in with this person that is across the table from you, there cannot be a partnership. It just can't. It's going to have to be here's specific instruction on what we need to see from you. Here's what I'm willing and able to do to help you with that. Hmm. Um, and here are the resources and here are the people that will go with you. And so that is what I try and provide. I understand the, the, the statute of what's happening. I know the process of what, you know, from their intake to their ongoing, to reunification, to all of that, to what these things look like and what they're going to be looking for, just what all the acronyms mean. Like, I, I know that, like, <clears throat> that's something that can really throw people off or the difference between a and Wisconsin is called a CHIPS petition, a child in need of protective services versus a disposition hearing. Like just somebody who is not connected to that traumatic experience, just even be able to explain those things and then know all of the current resources in that immediate local community. And then what is the process for getting access to all of those resources? And I will go with you. I will go with you. Wow. You get to do that. I get to do that. So what's they, up? Can you believe it? They gave me a whole bunch of money to be able to go do that. <laughs> That's awesome. And to hire other people to do the same thing, which is what I'm in the process of doing right now. <laughs> okay. Tell me what you do for fun. That's that's what I do for fun. I do I play roller derby for fun. Um it's it's really great and it's been one of the most supportive communities I've been in. I mean, even even when we, you know, don't agree or we get upset with each other, we're allowed to like knock each other down about it. So <laughs> uh and we do. But um it's all we we're hard on each other because we make each other stronger and roller derby is definitely a sport that taught me how to collaborate um it also showed me where all of the real all of the other women that are just like me are um (laughs) in my in my life you know because there's a lot of there's a lot of things that tell women like you know if you don't fit into this category you know you're the odd one out and um you know maybe uh, you don't really identify as female or feminine then um because the whatever you are is not feminine and man everybody all the people that i have met in roller derby has just absolutely proven to me that that is not true i i am i am absolutely a feminine woman um and my strength doesn't have to be categorized as masculine either no and it's one of the only sports that isn't separated by gender which as somebody who played hockey and football on boys teams because there were no girls teams yeah i love that okay yeah (laughs) I love that. And I can introduce you to several guys that would tell you that their testosterone was absolutely no advantage for them. Nope. No, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know who, who gaffed and, and assigned a masculine gender to this concept of strength, because in, in my 55 years on this blue marble, I probably most uh, equate it with, with uh, the women in my life for sure. Strength. 
Hell yeah. Oh, Roller Derby. I used to watch it when I was a little kid with my mom. Oh, did you probably watch the Bank Track Derby? Yeah. Yeah, man. Where they were on that? Yeah. Oh, God. It was awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I was. It was also like deadly, like quite literally deadly. Like people died playing it. Um, And so then they made some rules. And like, one of the things that they did that was really wise is because you know you can pass the star from the jammer to the pivot um, if you want to get ahead to lap. So instead of having just one helmet with the star where you had to take your helmet off and pass it to somebody else, now we just have like these we call them panties that you could put over your helmet and pass that. So you get to keep your helmet on the entire time. Um, but I fl- I play flat track derby um for and it's a international league which i love so it's the women's flat track derby association or wifta so um last i looked i believe our ranking was 34th for north america for fox city's roller derby um i don't think this year still after covid we're we're still not doing any sanctioning that affects any um rankings right now but which is good because oof we're a completely different team and so is everybody else like everybody else is trying to rebuild and um you know get things back together i'm trying to rebuild after you know three years of (laughs) pandemic yeah i'm not yeah (laughs) and roller derby since there's like no such thing as like a sponsored or professional roller derby player (laughs) Because even though we are the NFL of roller derby, we are not supported like the NFL. Even trying to get it on ESPN or in the Olympics has been a struggle. Um, But uh, we had all of our metrics for return to play put together by infectious disease nurses and um, I believe one epidemiologist. So we have it's wild in roller derby. We, we, our, our team is mostly made up of teachers. So if you were ever wondering how teachers deal with that many kids day in and day out without losing their stuff. I, dra- I drank when I was a teacher. So that <laughs> I was not, it was not sustainable. Yeah. Roller derby is a much healthier option Truth. for that. Truth. Um, and honestly, that's, that's true. I've heard that a lot of teachers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've got a literal, <clears throat> rocket scientist who is a professor at Lawrence University uh, who played up to age of 55 and was our highest scoring jammer and she is amazing um, and uh, I mean we have chemists and well and they have you know me who's an advocate in uh, wraparound support but we have every everything from waitressing to factory work to right on up to um, you know just some of the highest levels of education you can think of. It was, it was a really amazing way to like meet people I wouldn't have normally met or like rubbed elbows with. And it was, it's just really cool. It and it's cool. worldwide. So like I can go any, anytime I go anywhere, I like try to reach out to one of the other leagues to see if they have a practice and if I should bring my skates along or not. That's so awesome. yeah, it's really cool. That's cool. I had no idea. Now I want to check it out more for sure. To this point, it's just been like looking at pictures of you. <laughs> well, you so, guys got some some great teams in South Carolina. You you should check them out for sure. Cool, cool. Well, it's that time again to drop the mic. Um, 
do you have a final message for our millions of listeners? Um, I think it, I think it would be this. We cannot heal the next generation by separating it from the last. And it's really easy to love on kids because we like to think of them as these blank slates that can just be molded into whatever. And that's actually just even biologically not true. Um, but we just need to remember that, you know, the, the people that hurt us are just traumatized children who grew up and they still need just as much support and love as the, the, the kids that are easier to love. And that takes a lot more work that takes a lot more self-reflection, uh, and a lot more of an enduring heart. That was fire. <laughs> that was fire. <laughs> well, I sure appreciate you coming by. And uh, I can't wait to come out to your neck of the woods sometime soon. I hear you all have some good things and stuff like cheese. Cheese and a lot of snow. Lots of it. We keep getting dumped on, so 